This episode is brought to you by Task Husky. Task Husky eliminates the headache of going through unreliable developers to make small tweaks and fixes to your website. So if you need some small tweaks to your logo, fonts, pixels, or other tracking codes related to kind of the coding-based things of an e-commerce store, uh, check out TaskHusky.com. They support all e-commerce stores such as Shopify, BigCommerce, and WordPress, and it starts at $69. So it's a good way to find a cost-friendly solution to developers instead of going Upwork and going through all these developers that could or could not be uh, reliable. So check them out, TaskHusky.com, and uh, thank you for sponsoring the show. Alrighty, so ladies and gentlemen, we're back on the show. Terry Lynn here with my friend Kiri Masters, founder of Bobsled Marketing, where today we're going to talk about Amazon and uh, selling on Amazon. So Kiri, what's going on? Hey Terry, I'm good. How are you? Not bad. So tell me a little bit about Bobsled Marketing and what do you do over there? Sure. So Bobsled Marketing is an Amazon consulting agency and we work with brands to launch their products and grow their revenue on Amazon, both in the US and internationally across different platforms that Amazon offers from Seller Central to Vendor Central and the other programs that they have. And uh, we started out working primarily with Kickstarter brands, so brands that had raised money on Kickstarter and they were looking for, you know, to, to get into all of the major distribution channels and they just recognized that Amazon was going to be a, a challenge for them and they didn't really have the time or expertise to handle the launch themselves. Um, and so over time, we've started working with bigger companies and more established companies. So there's kind of like a, um, a launch cycle that we go through. So particularly for brands that don't have any Amazon presence, there's really the, the onboarding stage, which can get, which is very technical. So setting up all of their products on Amazon and making sure that they ship everything in correctly. So Amazon has its own barcoding system and helping clients to navigate that. Um, helping them get the inventory into Amazon can be sort of surprisingly qu quite a challenge for larger companies that do only wholesale, for example, and they've never really had products go direct to consumer. So there's that onboarding piece of it. And then there is kind of the product launch piece of it, which is creating um, appealing product listings. So the, the product description copywriting, um, of course, first, we, we want to be doing extensive keyword research for that category and for the brand's competitors and see what keywords we should be targeting in the copy, helping them select product images so that once customers find the product on Amazon, it's going to be, it's going to really speak to them and help them make a decision about whether to buy it. But the other part of that um, discovery piece is can people actually find your product listings in the search results. So there's 400 million SKUs on Amazon these days, amazon.com in the US. When you first started, you're like, oh, I'll just put stuff on Amazon, but it's actually like a really, really long process. Yeah, exactly. More than you think. Yeah, and so often that's where we hear from prospective clients is that they've tried to do it themselves and found it either too complicated or they just couldn't get results. So they realized that they kind of need an expert hand. I used to the past few years, you've had a lot of these like FBA private label sellers. And when you compare it to say someone that has their own branded product, uh, is there anything like, you know, people with their own brands can learn from the private label guys? Because I feel like the private label guys kind of are just like drive by. They want to just jack the listing and make money while they can before their blue widget gets too competitive. Right? Whereas like a consumer brand, you're actually trying to build something 
long term. But I feel like they ramp up a lot quicker from what I've seen in those like the pure FBA play guys too. So is there anything like we can learn from them? Yeah, I think that the pure FBA players have made the marketplace a lot more competitive and actually have been kind of a catalyst for a lot of Amazon's recent changes that we were literally just talking about earlier, Terry, how Amazon has changed just in the last 24 hours, the whole, um, all of their rules around getting product reviews. And it was really in response to a lot of um, review clubs and brand brands that would go out there and get like thousands of reviews within a couple of weeks so that they could compete in a really competitive category. To me, that's really kind of like been born out of the private label um, market, which is kind of the, the, the internet market is off, uh, so an opportunity with FBA. It was, it's kind, it was kind of the latest um, opportunity <clears throat> for a yeah. while. So for those of you who don't know, review clubs are basically these kind of online forums uh, where you can sign up as a reviewer and they'll give you like a 90% off code on some product on Amazon and then you just leave like a ideally five-star review, but uh, it's basically been shut down more or less uh, as of recording, uh, but we're still trying to figure out what, you know, happens with this. So basically Amazon says, hey, you know, if you buy something with a discount, uh, we're not going to allow you to do a review. Yeah. Um, and moving forward, so. Yeah, I think I think times will ultimately get more difficult for private label only brands because they don't have a, they don't have a, a sales or marketing channel outside of Amazon in many cases. So if you're now in, in an environment where you can't get product reviews sort of quote unquote artificially or like incentivize product reviews, it makes it really difficult to convert um, visitors into buyers on your page because I'm the same. I'm the same I, and I, I understand all of the tricks. When I'm buying something on Amazon, I want to buy something that has product reviews. It reduces this perception of risk that I'm going to get something that's no good. Um, and so if you've got no product reviews, it's you're really in a, this kind of catch-22 situation where no one's buying your product and therefore you're not getting any reviews because no one's buying your product. And you could the conversion rate of getting product reviews on Amazon's pretty low. I would say maybe like a couple of people at most in a hundred would actually leave a product review. Yeah, so thinking about getting like organic reviews, it's kind of like, uh. But, but then if you have your own list, you know, you're a customer, you go, hey, can you guys help us on Amazon, buy it there and then leave a review, we'll give you some bonus thing. Like that'd probably be your way moving forward, I guess, right? Like if you organically had your own list and a customer base that you can draw from. Exactly, exactly. And that's why I think that brands are going to win over private label is going forward because, and we did this this with some Kickstarter brands in the beginning and it was quite effective where the Kickstarter brand had a really engaged following, obviously, because they just launched this product. So they would send an email campaign out to their um, backers and say, hey, Terry, I'm, I really hope that you love your blanket so far. We just launched on Amazon. It's really important for us to get reviews. If you love your product, would you just write us a review? And to kind of like add on to that and something that you mentioned, so the whole change that Amazon's put in place is that they don't like this concept of incentivized reviews. So I would personally stay, everyone's tolerance for risk is a little bit different, but I would personally advise staying away from offering any kind of incentive for a review, whether that's like 
will send you a free product or we will enter you in a draw for a, you know, prize or something like that. Just stay away from any kind of verbiage of like a reward. Even if it's offsite, not on Amazon. Uh, yeah, I would stay away from it personally because they, they, they kind of, it's kind of freaky how much Amazon knows about all of us. Yeah. And I guess if your <laughs> Shopify store is linked the product feeds linked to Amazon. I guess that's pretty obvious too. They're, they'll figure that out somehow. I think so. In some case, it, yeah, I'd, I would stay away from it. Some people would feel differently. Yeah, all right, cool. So I guess uh, moving the gears a little bit. So if someone's already on Amazon and they're having troubles, you know, getting some more traction, where do you kind of start with the audit? Uh, it kind of comes down to the conversion rate, discoverability and relevance of the product. So with relevance, that's really key keywords and how your product displays to customers when they're looking, when they're trying to find something to solve their problem. And one really interesting fact is that 70% of people browsing Amazon.com are doing so from a mobile device and they're browsing on their iPhone or on their tablet. And a lot of the times if you're sort of getting on there and optimizing your product listings, you're finding all these innovative ways to add keywords into your product title and your brand name and all, all of the things that you think customers are searching for. But for people browsing on Amazon, on, devi on mobile devices, Amazon's going to truncate your product title after the first 25 characters. So you might be, if a, if a user is browsing through Amazon and looking for products in your category and they see your product and it's just been like keyword jammed with keywords and the title doesn't make any sense and that they're going to skip right over that so has the seo changed in the past year or two because i did an episode on this like probably like two years ago i just don't know has the on-site seo changed for amazon or is there pretty much still the same thing it's just like keywords and long text and that's it yeah a few months ago they actually extended the amount of characters you could put into the keyword field on the back end from, it was a couple hundred, I think, maybe 500, and they increased it to like 2,000. A lot of people went out there and they just, they're like, great, I'm going to add in all these long tail keywords that may or may not be relevant. I don't really care. I just want them in there. And that actually really hurt them because Amazon did then saw that their products weren't relevant and especially if you're running automatic PPC campaigns, then you end up with all of these terribly irrelevant bids. So um, even though they so they did increase the search term fields, which is helpful because you can add more search terms in there, but you st still should be just as careful about sort of curating your keywords and, and phrases on the back end. Yeah, there's a term in finance called GIGO, G-I-G-O. We call it garbage in, garbage out. <laughs> so, so it sounds like if you have like random keywords that don't make sense, the system will pull data from that and give you impressions that wouldn't make sense either. Is what I'm getting. At. Yeah, yeah, potentially. Um, and then in some cat across most uh, categories, they limit the title length to 200 characters. But again, you want to be you want to be super diligent about making sure the first 25 characters really sum up your product. And so one thing you mentioned earlier was Amazon PPC. So I don't really know much about this. Can we just go over this real quick? Uh, since it kind of goes into like discoverability in some ways for your listings too. 
Amazon sponsored products is the is the advertising platform on on Amazon.com for uh, for sellers. <clears throat> if you're selling on a wholesale basis to Amazon, you have access to a different advertising platform called AMS, Amazon Marketing Services, where you can actually get um, more advanced placements of of ads. But um, the the point the overall point of sponsored products and why it's so helpful and why it's like such a big part of our process at bobsled marketing is because with so much noise in the marketplace ppc can sometimes be your fastest and easiest and sometimes even cheapest way to get to the top page of search results if you're doing ppc really well you can um, get onto the first page the sponsored product listings show on the right rail of search results in the at the bottom of of search results at the top of the search results and then also on individual product pages so if someone's looking at a competitor they'll also potentially be looking at your product as an alternative at the same time so <clears throat> i think it's particularly effective because you can really engage both top of the funnel browsers, people who are looking for a solution to their problem, as as well as people who are potentially going to buy from a competitor. You can kind of win them back, so they're already at the bottom of the funnel. You can you can win them back. Yeah, one thing I noticed is that it's very subtle, like the ads. The whereas like AdWords, you know, you know, there's this big yellow, you know, highlight that says ad. Whereas like Amazon is kind of really hard to see, in most cases too. Yeah, I think that I'm not sure who like who's following who here, but it seems like with the Google PLAs, those those are becoming more uh, like part of the browsing experience. Just like with Amazon, how there's I'm not sure to what extent like regular people that aren't internet marketers <laughs> identify that they're ads or not. But if you kind of like if I took a screenshot of a search results page the other day and I highlighted in red all of the ad placements and it took up a good 10% of the page. And again, on the actual product pages between sponsored product ads and then premium um, brand placements, yeah, there's there's a lot of ad space on Amazon that people might not recognize as ads. Yeah, but like all they got to do is just give, the, give you the right placements because they make the 15, 20% off the bat anyway so the more quicker they can get you to buy that's all they care about yeah so, yeah i guess with with ppc it's like it's a pretty great money maker for amazon because it means more products are being sold ultimately but then people are brands are also spending money on the ad placements so for amazon the more sellers the better because in theory more sellers help to drive prices down by nature of like if you and I, Terry, are both selling the same pack of beer glasses and you're offering your the beer glasses at $2 less than I am, then you're, poten- you're potentially going to win that sale over me because Amazon's algorithm favors lower prices and a few other factors as well, including shipping and delivery times. But um, more sellers equal better prices for consumers in theory. And then you've also got more advertisers spending money on ads and you've also got more selection. And 
that's why I think Amazon's made it pretty easy for new, new entrants to come in and set up using FBA and use their amazing logistics infrastructure. So definitely it's, it is very competitive, especially in the US, which is why a lot of brands now are also looking at ex- expanding into the UK and Europe. All right, cool. So let's move on into expansion. And so uh, I guess in the past year or two, every, everyone in our circles, uh, kind of like the DC you know, online circle, everyone's like, oh, I'm going to go to Amazon UK. I'm going to go to Amazon Germany. So, so what's the deal with this? Is it because the US is too saturated now or what's kind of the deal here? Yeah, I would put it down to that. So there's both there's both opportunity in terms of reaching new customers. So Germany is actually Amazon's second largest market outside of the US and a very active like online savvy um, customer base who is growing pretty rapidly. So the, the same with the UK and other European markets, but Germany is sort of like the biggest the biggest one at the moment. So there's both opportunity for um, selling to new customers as well as less aggressive op- uh, competition than in the US. Yeah. So the way you would do this, you would FBA all your products to Germany, to UK and to every other country? Or is there like a central hub that they can do it from and then they split it? Or Yes. There are actually three three different options of storing and distributing in inventory so you can set up you can set up multi it's called the multi-country option where you as the brand decide how much inventory you're going to have in each country let's say uk germany and france and you might have uh like 25 percent of your inventory in france 25 percent in germany and 50 percent in the uk as the brand, you're responsible for shipping your inventory individually to each of those countries and having it sent to Amazon. So the benefit there is that the customer can get the prime shipping. So they get it within two days. The inventory is there in the country and you know exactly where your inventory is at any time. The Another option is where it's called the European Fulfillment Network. And that's where you ship all of your inventory to one location, say Germany. But um, you can also set up the product listings in other countries so that people outside of Germany can purchase that product, but it gets shipped from Germany. So the benefit of that is more for the brand because you don't have to set up um, your inventory in multiple countries. It's still available to buy, but you don't have to ship it to different places. But for the customer, they don't, they don't get the benefit of, of Prime in most cases and things take longer to arrive and they potentially pay more for shipping. And and then the final option, which is it's kind of new and it seemed really exciting at the time, there's sort of some hidden drawbacks. It's called Pan-European and that's where you can ship all your inventory to one place and then Amazon moves your inventory around the system for you. So this... The big benefit here is that you don't have to pay to have your inventory shipped to each market. Amazon will, in theory, move it around for you for free. But they it means that Amazon's in total control of where your inventory is held and shipped to. At any point in time, you can't say that you want inventory in, in Spain. They might never send it to Spain. Um and then also it kind of opens a big can of worms with 
tax and compliance. If you have inventory in all of these countries, you basically need to you need to set things up with the um, the the tax regulators in each country, and you don't even know like when or if any of your inventory is going to be available there. So. <laughs> All right, so I guess one question I had about kind of this whole European thing is Amazon really pushing Europe? Because like, like what's their incentive to push into Europe with all these different countries having their own regulations? Because like US is like, US and Canada is kind of understandable. But like why are they pushing the Europe? I'm kind of curious. Like, the more third-party marketplace sellers they can get into these new marketplaces, the less they have to spend themselves on purchasing wholesale inventory and the wider their selection becomes. So for Amazon, one of their core, one of their major core value propositions since forever has been selection. The world's, you know, the world's, uh, what is the the tagline? I forget what it is, but it's like the world, the world's biggest selection or whatever it is. So by encouraging sellers to enter those markets, it means that, um, Amazon gets more products on their shelves. Yeah, and kind of, they kind of want to take over the world too, right? You see, I think they bought like they got like a shipping license to like for boats, and if they go to Europe, they got to do Asia, and then they'll just everything will be like Amazon, 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 and then you just buy, ship, get your stuff delivered, and probably send your kids to school on an Amazon box <laughs> or something like that. Who knows? That's really interesting. <laughs> I, I've never thought of that. They did just bring out a um, a competitor to uh, Shutterfly the photo printing service. So there's some there's been some interesting analysis recently of anytime Amazon enters a new sort of um, project like that, the shares of Shutterfly will like just drop dramatically because all of the analysts just know that anytime Amazon comes in and competes with an established industry, you're kind of screwed. Yeah, because A, they're so <laughs> fast and B, they'll beat you on price and then C, you're yeah. probably too slow to react and then that's yeah, good, good game for you, basically. Yeah, exactly. So I just think, like in a lot of cases, you, you could kind of get hung up on on that, but you can't. You kind of can't beat them. You might as well join them. And to what you were saying about Asia as well, Amazon's investing a huge amount into India, which is really interesting because they kind of lost. They've more or less like lost China at this point to Alibaba. Like they they're not going to be able to save that. Alrighty, so kind of off tangent a little bit. So let's uh, go back to your book a little bit. So what's your book about? Yeah, so my book, it's coming out in November. It's called The Amazon Expansion Plan. And it's really geared towards uh, owners of brands and um, marketing managers of consumer brands who are looking to get started on Amazon or might already be on Amazon and they're looking for getting kind of the next edge in their their revenue on Amazon. So some of the topics that I talk about in the book are is is launching on Amazon right for your brand if you're not already there and if so which model to look at. So between the two major selling programs FBA which we talk about a lot and there's a lot of information out, out there about FBA and how it works but then there's also Vendor Central and Vendor Express which is where you're selling to Amazon on a wholesale basis. So is that the right option for your brand? And then there are some other programs like, Terry, you've probably heard of Launchpad, the Kickstarter program. Um, So a bit about how that works. 
there's, two, there's all these like programs there that it's always confusing there's like they have like their own vine review thing and then like you have the wholesaler and the regular seller as it's like there's so many terms now that like, like unless you're on it you just can't understand all oh yeah stuff. i struggle to keep up <laughs> well the other thing is that makes it difficult to keep up is that they 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 run a lot of programs and then they'll they'll like just exit some of them when they don't work out which is pretty interesting so yeah definitely keeping up with all of those programs is a challenge and there is there's definitely a lot of areas that I think that they will grow into so one is the b2b market so if you're selling so you're selling blankets terry those can still be you don't think about it so much but that can actually still be used in a business context so small businesses corporations government government offices hospitals schools these are all entities that are using amazon's new amazon for business program another extremely inventive name yeah amazon business ooh <laughs> yeah <laughs> at least it wasn't amazon b2b right <laughs> yeah exactly so um the b2b e-commerce market is i forget what it is but it is so much bigger than the consumer market and it's always it's never been done very well from a marketplace standpoint especially so since since kind of getting into this market last year amazon now has uh yeah, they've, they've really gotten a lot of traction in the B2B e-commerce space. So I think this is, it's very interesting and something I encourage all brands to think about how their products would, could be used in a business or government context, <clears throat> even if it's just gifts at the end of the year for employees and, and, um, and uh, customers. Yeah, because one thing, like back at a bank, like even just doing like B2B purchases for like gifts for clients or like, you know, bulk things it was just such a pain in the ass to like find this stuff finding the right price then getting the right quotes and then getting the approvals whereas like if you go on amazon you use there's a marketplace like you just hey just buy this you know 100 units of this for x amount you can just do it right away at the company card yeah too, exactly so. Yeah. so it's it's super easy for businesses because then all of the reporting is built in so you know who placed an order for some stuff and like all of the if you have a purchase approval like a procurement workflow as a company and you need all of your suppliers to like comply with that procurement workflow and like of course Amazon's going to to do that really well collecting tax you know tax resale certificates like all of this b2b kind of stuff that's that's kind of complicated Amazon's come in made it really easy so I see huge opportunity there and that's um you know like a major US opportunity. And can like individual sellers list on B2B or do you have to be qualified some way to be on there? No, you can, yeah, it's pretty much open to all sellers. There is, it's pretty much open in all categories as well. I think that there might be some categories where, you, where you're not immediately able to do that. But the actual process of setting up um, on Amazon for business is really easy. All you need to do is apply and then create your business offers so let's say if you are prepared to like give a discount on wholesale purchase quantities of 100 or so then you can create that business only offer and so anyone just on the regular amazon.com as a consumer is not going to see your um your deal for like a purchasing in quantities of 100 but only registered 
business customers are going to see that. And so it's important to note also for you to sign up as a buyer on Amazon Business, you have to go through this whole process of providing your EIN, your um, business registration number. And they also, it takes a couple of days for them to verify your account to make sure you're a real business or um, you know non-individual entity. So you can be pretty you can be pretty certain that whoever's buying your products through that program is a legit business or government entity. Yeah, because you don't want some hustler that's you know taking his credit card, buying 500 units, and then reselling it individually on exactly. like eBay or something like that, <laughs> which I'm sure yeah, some people have thought about. Because since I just you know, I'm not the only one, I'm sure. <laughs> Come on, Terry. No, <laughs> no, that is that's a legitimate concern that a lot of. Um, brands have when we suggest that so yeah definitely um so then yeah like in the in the book the other big thing that we talk about a lot is the the whole sort of seo piece that we got into a bit about sponsored products and ppc and then of course spending some time talking about the international market opportunity and how that works sort of for for the main markets canada uk germany and and europe Gotcha. And so loop back a little bit uh, before we close out here. Uh, one thing you mentioned was is launching on Amazon right for your brand. I remember seeing this article, I think a couple of weeks ago where I forgot who it was. Maybe it was like Toomey or some brand. They were like, hey, we're leaving Amazon. Anything you buy on there is like fake and not supported by us. So yeah, like, I think that was Birkenstock. Yeah, that, yeah that's who it was. Yep. Yeah. So I was kind of shocked about that because like, usually everyone's like, oh, Amazon sells so much. So I'll just take the hit on the percentage or whatever because I still make so much money because of the volume. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. And so those brands are leaving publicly because um, Amazon doesn't often provide a lot of support with counterfeit products. So Birkenstock was finding that it wasn't just third-party resellers who had obtained um, like, you know, legit – uh, Birkenstocks that were reselling them on Amazon without their permission. That's a that's a whole separate topic. But you know, actual counterfeit, non inauthentic products were being sold on Amazon, and Amazon just doesn't really provide a lot of support to police that behaviour. It is a big challenge. It's something that we spend a lot of time on f- with our clients. So we've had some issues with. Um, uh, like counterfeit sellers who are selling something like it's a completely different product and we'll order it, we'll get it in the mail and it will be just this in just a, just a piece of crap. Like (laughs) there's really, and then the, the impact for that is, is if a real customer had ordered that from the counterfeiter, then they would leave a a negative product review, right? Because it's, it's not what they expected to, to receive and chances are you're not going to be able to get that negative product review removed even if you manage to get the seller taken down. Yeah. So how does the counterfeiter get on the listing? Does it just sell it as like an old one, like a legit old one? or? Yeah. So um, Amazon is – the way that Amazon system is set up is as a catalog. So any product that has a, a UPC code or a barcode is like tied to a product listing. Yeah. So – to go back to like the beer, the set of beer glasses example, it might be my product, like it might be Kiri Masters beer glasses, but you, Terry, you've like obtained some 
authentic, like you've, uh, you're a reseller of my brand or something like that. So you can start selling that same product on quote unquote my listing, but Amazon doesn't see it as Kiri Masters listing. They just see it as this UPC number. Oh, and they don't really care. I see, I see. Yeah. So I could just piggyback off your UPC code if I know it and then list it alongside you. Yeah, and, nothing, and exactly. I can steal your buy box and everything too. Okay, yeah. Exactly. That, that's actually so, pretty infuriating if I was like a brand that was getting ripped off like that. Yeah, well, you got to sort of think like how how that seller could have obtained your product. They could have got it legitimately through your distribution chain. So if you're if you're selling to uh, to retailers through brick and mortar stores, you're selling to distributors who are selling onto retailers. Then anyone could like walk into a store that's having a sale, pick up your product at 50% off and then turn around and flip it on Amazon basically. So that was happening for a long time and and very recently again, like this kind of big big change that Amazon made recently is that for some products which have kind of high um, value to Amazon especially, uh, you have to apply to sell that product. So with Nike shoes, for example, or um, what's another one, Lego, you can't sell that product as a reseller on Amazon without proving that you're an authorized reseller of Lego and you have to pay a fee, actually. It's like, I think it ranges from 500 to 2000 I think it is. So if you're, if you're one of those um, folks who is, they're doing what's called retail arbitrage. So they'll go go to a Walmart, go through the clearance aisle, look for products that are discounted and, and they know that they can sell for profit on Amazon and they'll just buy up buy up that inventory, sell it on Amazon and they get get a little profit off of that. That's kind of changed the game for those re- resellers because they're not allowed to sell a lot of these brands anymore, these popular brands. Yeah without paying a big fee yeah i know about retail arbitrage that's what i did in college i don't know if you know this so i used to go to my school textbooks yeah exactly i would arbitrage textbooks it was actually pretty good money because i would buy them for like ten dollars and sell it for like 60 this is like a 2002 and i was like wow it's pretty good money it's college students so (laughs) yeah so amazon i mean amazon loves that they love having resellers of textbooks and stuff available because you can Drive, help drive the price down, but they don't love it when big brands like Birkenstock and Nike and Sony decide to leave Amazon because they're annoyed by having all of these like unauthorized resellers that they can't verify the authentic- authenticity of their products. Yeah, well, and I guess it's like a textbook is a textbook. There's no counterfeit yep. textbooks. I mean, if you have a counterfeit, you wouldn't sell it on there anyways because there'd be black and white coffee that you made in a print shop too, so... Yes. Well, yeah, it's a good point. Yeah. All right, then. So I guess that's it. Uh, if you guys want to learn more about Kiri, um, check out her website, bobsaidmarketing.com. And the books uh, should be up by the time this episode is released, right? November 10th. Uh, knock yes. on wood. Um, hopefully keep the date. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. right. Thanks, Kiri. And uh, how can we connect with you online besides your website? Sure. So um, I actually have a Facebook group called Amazon Um channel mastery for brands which is a bit of a mouthful but maybe we could put that in the show notes and so that's that's a great way to sort of get in with a group of um, channel managers e-commerce managers and brand owners who are selling on amazon Uh, and then also 
yep, on the website and the book is going to be available on Amazon, of course, <laughs> from November 10th. It's going to be free for the first few days after it launches. So I really encourage anyone who wants to save a few bucks to get onto the mailing list so you can get it for free when it launches. Alrighty, cool. Well, thanks so much for joining us and I'm going to join your group right now. Hopefully I'll get approved Great. and uh, <laughs> I'll catch up with you soon and uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Terry. Bye-bye.